God's Word this afternoon, we find in John chapter 6, and the verses 48 to 51, and the focus of the sermon will be on verse 51. John chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 48. With humble hearts, we receive the Word of God. Our Lord Jesus there in the midst of a lengthy discourse with the Jews, many of them who were not believing on him, not listening to his word, yet nevertheless, this is what he says to them, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Thus far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul had a very keen understanding, a correct understanding of what human nature was all about in terms of us being fallen creatures in Adam. And he expressed the desperate state of our humanity in Romans 7 verse 24 where he said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the first hand, he he describes our, our humanity, how it has suffered and fallen so far and yet he also gives the answer as if to say in me is death he says that's my wretched condition but I thank God through Jesus Christ and so he 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 rightly understands himself but he also gives the answer to his predicament and so of course it is with each one of us being dead in sin by nature how much we need to hear then Jesus words where he says I am the bread of life And also, secondly, I give my flesh for the life of the world. That's what Jesus says in the midst of unbelieving Jews who are really not getting it. They're still not listening to him. They're still not wanting to receive him as indeed he is a bread of life. And so the Lord must persist in this theme, speaking and revealing himself to those complaining and unbelieving Jews. And as he speaks, he increasingly sets forth himself to them as to who he is. And thus our theme this afternoon, this Communion Sunday, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And as Jesus says these words, we note first uh, this truth. Number one, that this bread we must eat we must eat of if we are to live, for he- live forever. Our li- Lord Jesus Christ there, busy with the Jews, speaking to them. His words are bold, they're true, they're forthright. In verse 48, he, he repeats what he says in verse 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. And in verse 50, he repeats what he said back in verse 33. He says, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus' words are most emphatic, emphatic. They need to be heard. 
And Jesus therefore has to powerfully say the same thing twice to these unbelieving Jews. God's words bear repeating because they deal with us in our broken humanity and sinfulness, but also they, they reveal everything that we need to know about Jesus Christ himself with regard to our salvation. Hence, God's word needs to be said again and again and again, so to speak. They deal, of course, with this great question, hey, where are we going to spend our eternity? What is our final destiny? Are you sure about the fact of living forever with Christ? And that the only other alternative is dying forever without Christ. Jesus repeats these words to help us understand the gravity of the situation that we are in, being by nature children of wrath and by nature dead in our sin. And so he repeats his words a second time with regard to the manna that their fathers ate in the wilderness. Let's look at verse 48 and 9 and 50. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And I am that living bread which came down from heaven. The Jews, you see, at that time had been so impressed with the manna that their fathers ate in the wilderness for 40 years, that manna that came from heaven. But Jesus tells them that it didn't do their fathers any good. They all died, Jesus said. They're, they're dead. Meaning they did not understand and, and believe the significance of that heavenly manna. What it really was to point to that there was to be life found in God the Father. And him they were not believing. And so they were eating, though they were eating the manna, they all died in their sin. It didn't do them any good. And of course we know furthermore that physical bread, even something like manna, can never give eternal life. It only feeds the stomach. So in effect here, Jesus is saying, stop thinking about that manna that only feeds your stomach. You need something much more than manna, even now. You need he who calls himself the living bread. And so again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Your fathers all died, he says to them, a point of fact. But you shall not die like them if you eat this bread. Our Lord was speaking, of course, of spiritual bread, and he was speaking of spiritual life. And those that would receive that spiritual bread had to, had to feed on that bread. They had to eat that bread, and that would produce in them everlasting life. And here's the kicker, this bread is me, Jesus says. He says to them in verse 51, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. A person has got to eat, to eat this bread that comes down from heaven in order to live forever. Now, congregation, there are many people, of course, who taste and they sample Jesus 
for a short while, perhaps, at a given point in their life when they hear about him, and yet they eat without ever satisfying their souls with living bread. They never satisfy their souls to take away the hunger. They, they never swallow, they never digest the truth, the whole truth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ therefore remains disagreeable to them for whatever reason they might bring forth. And in effect, they, in, in effect when they taste that bread, they, they quickly spit it out again. And they say, I don't like the taste of this stuff. It is disagreeable to me. I'll find some other kind of bread to hopefully satisfy my soul somewhere else. They do not go back for more spiritual food. But Jesus expressly states, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Jesus pictures himself as bread. It's an analogy of himself and of course, back then and now as well, we all know what bread is for. Even little children know what bread is for. Bread is supposed to be swallowed. It is supposed to be, it to be eaten. It's supposed to be consumed. It's supposed to fill you. It's supposed to take away your hunger. Now, what you do with bread, you must do to Jesus Christ, humbly and gladly receiving as if you were that little, little hungry child and you hadn't eaten anything for a whole day and your mom gives you a piece of bread and you just take it and you believe it's going to satisfy your hunger. Again, an analogy of what we must do to Christ. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This is what we must do by faith in Jesus Christ. It is so necessary to eat, do that eating because he calls himself the living bread. If Jesus might have called himself something entirely different, we might have said, well, I don't need to eat that stuff. But he calls himself the living bread. And furthermore, I am the bread which has come down from heaven. I'm not just ordinary bread. I'm not man-made bread. I'm not some man-made recipe for your happiness or for security for your future or any of that sort of thing. I am the bread which comes down from heaven. Every earthly bread will never satisfy your soul and fill you with the knowledge of the truth and the salvation for your souls. To eat earthly bread would only ever do your stomach some good, but nothing else. But congregation, this Jesus Christ is the living bread who feeds your soul. It's because it's heavenly. It is divine. It is intended to feed your whole being, body and soul, with spiritual food so that you will never die. <clears throat> Now, what spiritual food would compare with that? What religious belief out there today would guarantee you everlasting life of body and soul? There's not a single religion under the face of the sun that guarantees the resurrection of your body. Not one, there never has been, except for this one, even Jesus Christ who arose. What person has actually conquered death by being raised up from the dead to demonstrate he has the power over death to conquer death and then to give to you that same life that he has? 
so that you have everlasting life as well. Well, there's only one man, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. He has the power and therefore the authority and the ability to give life to your dead soul. And that's what the gospel writers have been so busy with throughout all of, all of their writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They testify of the truth of Jesus Christ, that he indeed was sent by the Father from heaven. And throughout their writings, you sure see one, several things. You see Christ's power, you see Christ's authority, you see Christ's wisdom, you see his glory, you see his grace, that he was equal to the Father in every respect. As the Father raised the dead in the Old Testament, so did Jesus Christ in the New. That means one thing, he must be God as well. He must be heaven, he must be divine. Indeed, he is the Son of God. And thus, when you look at Jesus' miracles that he did, they certainly were written for a purpose, not only to tell us that they happened, but they, that they would also convince our hearts that he indeed is the living bread. All of Jesus' miracles were, were life-giving miracles. He raised the dead. He cast the demons out of the demon-possessed, those who were hell-bound and demon-possessed. He brought life to their souls. All Christ's miracles were life-sustaining miracles. They were life-improving miracles. To the, to, to the blind, he gave sight. To, to the mute, he gave them speech. To the lame, he made them walk. It was a life-improving miracle to demonstrate he's the only one that, only, that can not only improve our lives, but give life to our lives. Jesus indeed showed he was the giver of life in all his miraculous works and deeds, and therefore he rightly can call himself the living bread. And I am the bread of life. <clears throat> oh, congregation, what beautiful things to hear from Jesus of Nazareth. Again, we reflect upon what Paul said about himself when he said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. We need to know we are just as wretched of ourselves as Paul needed to, to know and to confess that to us. We need to know we are wretched because of our sin. And without Christ, we are forever starving and forever dead in our sin. And if we don't realize that, then we will never need to know that we've got to eat of him who came down from heaven. Well, what is it to eat? Well, it is to repent of your sin to have to do something with this wretchedness of your life, of what Paul speaks. Not that we can really do anything about it of ourselves, but to repent of our sin, because guess what? Here is Jesus Christ, the giver of life, in front of us. If he wasn't even there, well, no need to repent, but he is here. He shows himself in the Gospels to be the one only true God, the Son of the Father, who gives us this simple command to eat, to drink of me. I came down from heaven. <clears throat> and so congregation and young people, I guess, perhaps maybe more so, don't just nibble away a little bit here and there of Jesus Christ to take what you want from the gospel that is attractive to you and to kind of put away the stuff you don't like about Christ or the gospel. That'd be like going to a real fine buffet table and choosing only a wee little bit of food here or there that strikes your fancy and passing by all that very rich and nourishing food that you really should be taking. And guess what? Your stomach stays only hungry. If you would only sample Christ out of curiosity 
and leave it at that and pass by that, that necessary believing in his substitutionary death on the cross as a punishment for your sin, if you would pass that by, it would leave your soul, your soul still with a gnawing anger, gnawing hunger, a spiritual hunger, and you would still have a guilt-ridden conscience, and you would never gain any peace with God. And you'd only have everlasting hell to look forward to forever if you passed by Christ and only nibbled away and took a wee little bit, but for the rest, you left him as he was because you really didn't think someone would actually have to die for your sins and be punished for you because you and I deserve that punishment. But you see, congregation, Christ was sent into the world that the world would have life through him and have it abundantly. Therefore, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Oh, your fathers, they ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Feed upon these gospel words of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the words of the gospel writers, of course. Meditate upon those words and meditate deeply upon the words that Jesus spoke when he administered that first communion with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, when he broke the bread, when he offered the poured out wine to them, meditate upon these things of the holy sacrament as you partake of them. Take them down deeply into your hearts so that you get full deep within your breast concerning the riches, the goodness, the wonder, the beauty the person of Christ, embrace him. Let Christ's words linger on in your mind and embrace them deeply in your heart. Consume these words of Jesus Christ into your own soul and be filled with living bread, even Jesus himself. For congregation, if you didn't do that, what would you otherwise fill your heart and mind with, you're going to put something into your heart. That I know because that's what we are as creatures. We will fill our mind with something that we think is good. But what if you filled your mind with something else, would you not remain hungry after you've just eaten it? You'd remain hungry and you'd feel empty and unsatisfied. On top of that, you'd feel deceived. Deceived. You thought you really got the goods, but it was really garbage. Stop feeding your soul with any kind of substitute other than Jesus Christ. Keep filling your soul with, with the goods, the goods of the gospel, not with spiritual poison, not with spiritual junk food. Or you will remain always wretchedly empty, as Paul confessed of himself first off. You would remain otherwise guilt-ridden. You would remain dying, dying if you are not eating of Christ with trust and with hope, assured 
of his word that as you eat, you will never hunger again. Can you honestly speak of your own spiritual experience of coming to a point in your life where you came to the conclusion, you know what, I'm really not hungering after anything else anymore. There's lots of beautiful things in this world to tickle your fancy galore, but you know what, my soul is full. I have hungered, I've come to the right table, I've heard the word, I believe with all my soul, and my soul is full with nourishing spiritual food. I'm never going to hunger again. Christ dwells in me, and having him, it is enough. Even more, having Christ, it is all. It is all. Jesus reinforces this truth and explains it further in the last half of our text as we go to the second part of verse 51. He is saying there, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And, now here's the rationale for that, the bread that I shall give, that I shall give, is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See why Jesus Christ is called the living bread? What is it that makes it living bread for us? Well, it's because this living bread is his flesh, he tells us there in that text. It's his flesh. And furthermore, he gives it for the life of the, of the world. What astonishing thing for these disciples and, and all the Jews to kind of get their head around as well. You mean to tell me this living bread is your flesh? What are we supposed to do with that? Flesh? Yes, indeed. The living bread is my flesh. Something for the Jews to ponder and for us as well. This spiritual bread is Jesus' own flesh. It's his very own body that he's zeroing in on and causing us to put our focus there. He's, he's indeed speaking of his body and of his blood. How his body must be broken and how his blood must be shed congregation he who would save us from our sins must experience also what we were worthy of even death is not the wages of sins death does not the does not sin have consequences and for Jesus Christ if he is to bear our sin he must suffer the wages that we were meant to suffer namely eternal death the consequences Jesus suffered them too. He is to suffer them if he is ever to give life to the world. Then this first, that he must give his flesh for the life, for the life of the world. Notice the implication of that statement. I give my flesh for the life of the world. The implication is that all the world then is dead. If he is to give life to it, it means it is dead in and of itself, isn't it? And isn't that the case with this world? What has man done in terms of his relationship to God and relationship to others? He has, he's broken it terribly, and so there is no life in this world. There's no future for this world to be had in and of itself. It means there's going to be no new heavens. There's going to be no new earth unless it comes by way of the flesh of Jesus Christ. The world, you see, is no place to find any hope. 
And I say that because, for example, in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, Peter tells us that the world already has been prepared for destruction. Talk about having no hope. And why is this world already prepared for destruction? It's because the creation now groans in the bondage to decay and corruption, Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 21. This world is a fallen world that groans in bondage to decay and to corruption, the corruption of sin. And furthermore, Galatians 3.10 says that, the curse, that, that this world is under the curse of God because of sin. So there's no way in the world that this world could ever produce something lasting, some kind of grand utopia, some kind of peace and harmony with men that will last forever, some kind of perfect health and security and peace that will not go away. No way, the world cannot do it. The world indeed is slated for fire it is already under the wrath of God. Romans 1 verse 18. But Jesus Christ is the living bread because he gives his flesh to be sacrificed in order for the world to have life. Never mind you simply but the world to have life. Notice Jesus' words at the end of that verse. I, I shall give my flesh, flesh, which I shall give for the life of, of the world. He has come to sacrifice his body, congregation, so that it would have life. So that there will be an age to come. And in this age to come, a brand new world under a brand new heavens that the Lord has prepared for those who love him. A new world in which all its raised up from the grave, righteous children of God will enjoy exceedingly everlasting life with him. The raised up from the grave, righteous children enjoying life with him because Jesus the living bread gave up his flesh. It was crucified for the life of the world to come. Don't we confess that at the end of the Nicene Creed? And I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. How so? Because now, by grace we partake of the bread of life. By faith we partake of the bread of life. What does that faith sound like? Well, it's a faith that cries out, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what it cries out. And you all, as Christians, must have and no doubt still are crying out this confession in your prayer when you've fallen badly, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, save me or I die. That's it. Save me or I die. I cry out to you, oh God, because I know your son has accomplished deliverance from me on Calvary's cross because his flesh was given 
for the life of the world. And that by grace includes me too. A faith that believes in Jesus Christ because he is the only atoning sacrifice sufficient not only for my sin but also for the whole world. We read in 1 John 2 verse 2 for, for, for the whole world. Indeed for the life of the world. Now that of course doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved but the scope and the dimension of God's saving grace impacts the entire world. And from every tribe and nation and tongue from within the ranks of the whole world will come out, come forth a, a holy elect children of God. Jesus here in verse 51 speaks in the future tense. He says, and I shall give my flesh for the life of the world. He speaks about himself as the one who is going to be delivered up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29 says, to be that substitutionary Lamb that would be, sli would be slain. To number one, bear your sins and mine first. Secondly, to bear our punishment that we deserve Thirdly, to bear the wrath of God against you and me that we deserve. And fourthly, to give us that life he promised for the world, to give that to us too. Well, congregation, talk about a Savior we have here. Talk about a Savior worth believing in. This morning, we, we facetiously would consider many other gods, and we, we, we concluded they all come to a zero. But this is the Savior who is worth believing. For indeed, he showed himself to be the bread of life, freely given, freely to eat with hearts and minds of faith, so that we will rejoice exceedingly and forevermore living in the presence of our great God and with his blessed Holy Son, our Savior. Amen.